0: Hey there. I'm Pete Townsend and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by Security Centrix, security Centrix is a trusted cybersecurity company with offices in Dublin, Cape Town, and London. Securecentrics provides expert advisory services, primarily in the finance and fintech industries, with tailored security solutions to fit your specific needs and regulatory challenges. In this episode, Owen Fitzgerald and I riff on crypto exchange FTX and their partnership with Visa, enabling users to spend crypto anywhere Visa is accepted. We also dig into how Google Cloud are opening up to crypto payments in partnership with Coinbase. We look at the state of community fintech through the lens of Chetwood Financial's deal with Mumsnet and their 8 million strong community. We also look at Nova Credit's big $10 million investment from HSBC as a rallying cry for public fintech utilities. We also look at the latest on Meta's Metaverse world, and finally, it's backs against the wall time for Goldman Sachs' Marcus and Bank North. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. Hey, Owen. Hey, Pete. How you doing Good. tonight?
1: Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, and this lovely Wednesday evening. Yeah, yeah. You tired at all today? How was today? I am very tired. My 10-month, yeah. almost 11-month-old has not grasped the concept
0: of sleeping at night. In fact, Imagine he seems to be that. more awake at night. So, my what would I call him now? My 120 month old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't sleep till he was 26 months. Yeah. And it, it something he, he remembered how fun that was over the summer. And I did teach him a few things to calm his mind that I learned from doing this positive intelligence course called pq that i did with shirzad Shameen. actually it was paul smith shout out to paul from top tier recruitment and from possible.ie who introduced me to this and brought me through the course but these little techniques that you can use to quiet your brain such as and they're kind of meditation techniques which is breathe in through your nose breathe out through your nose breathe in through your nose and feel the temperature of the air as it enters your nostrils. And then feel the temperature of the air as it exits your nostrils, yeah. right? And then rub your finger together, your thumb and your forefinger, just so gently that you can feel the ridges of your fingers and just concentrate on that. That's a way to quiet your brain. So cool. I don't think you can teach that to Sebastian just yet. No. Um, you no. Know, when he's 120 months old, he may be ready for that. That might help, yeah. That <laughs> yeah.
1: might help for me when I'm trying not to be frustrated in the
0: middle of the night. <laughs> Yeah. 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 No, I was listening to Brian Armstrong talk about this to Tim Ferriss on his latest episode, the Tim Ferriss show and talking about, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, rolling around thinking about stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. Yeah. But thanks to Shirzad Shameen and Paul Smith and PQ i have kind of learned a little bit of a way to quiet my brain. Now I talked to Brian McNulty about this as well from fun admin chain and I'm like, does that ever happen? He's like, yeah, yeah, dude, I'm so over it. Like, you got to figure that out. There's ways to do this. Get yourself back to sleep. Come on, just grow up. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So we figured it out. Grow up. (laughs) Yeah, Shout out to Brian as well. But listen, where we're going to start this week, we've got FTX. So we talked about Sam Bankman-Fried last Mm -hmm. week. He's the CEO of FTX, comes from a quant trading background with Alameda Research, obviously the big crypto player. And they are partnering with Visa, in a bet that shoppers still want to spend cryptocurrencies in a bear market. This was on CNBC on the 7th of October. Effectively, what's happening is that FTX are launching a debit card whereby you could spend cryptocurrency. I think the way that it works, I only saw this in one other article, was that whatever your highest balance is across different cryptocurrencies, whether that be Bitcoin, Ethereum, or even stablecoins like we talked about USDC, it will automatically go to that balance and it will debit for you now. The merchant doesn't get paid in crypto it's that behind the scenes visa and ftx are converting that from crypto into fiat into you know traditional currency that can float through the credit card debit card payment networks with visa mastercard has been doing a bit around this as well so i think it's you know there's reading into this a bit there's a, a latin america play here there's an inflation play an unbanked play in that it's far easier For And I've been, because I've been digging into this big time with Techstars, helping out getting the the Lagos program off the ground and seeing how many systematic infrastructure inefficiencies are in Nigeria, for example, with how much fintech is coming out of that market. And that there are just, you know, so mobile money wallets have become a huge thing in Nigeria and West Africa in general because of just how hard it can be to get a bank account and how unreliable the banking infrastructure can be. So go that even a step further, it's like anybody can open up an FTX account. Anybody can open up a Coinbase account and that you can then, well, you gotta populate that account, right? You gotta get some type of financial balance in there in order to move from fiat into crypto. But if someone just sends you say one 100th of a Bitcoin, you can then convert that to USDC, You can elect to be paid by someone that you're providing a service for in USDC. And then holding USDC in countries where the local currency is less than stable is something that can be quite helpful to you in your quest to move up the ladder and to start saving and growing and preserving your wealth and moving up even further into improving your quality of life, right? So I, I think there's a play here that is perhaps moving FTX more into kind of the Coinbase territory of, you know, Coinbase's vision of creating an open financial system for the world. And that, you know, with, with just, as I mentioned, just listening to Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase on the Tim Ferriss podcast this week, and talking about his initial journey in Argentina and thinking about how people got paid and how difficult it was for people to get into the financial system. It's like, just make it open and, and create these opportunities for people. So like you always say, it was good to see right? That the FTX were moving this direction.
1: Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it it seems like a no brainer in a sense for some of these markets. You know, I know from the article, they're talking about places like Argentina and stuff, they've 83% inflation. and But the reality is when you've a lot of people using, like you said, mobile wallets, and that's how they're living, going about their daily life. Well, you know, this is another extension. It's a, you know, if there's not good payment infrastructure or payment rails in a market, well, then these types of products are ideal, you know, from an adoption point of view. So it seems like a fairly easy way in that sense for a Visa to partner with the likes of an FTX and, you know, at least get some element to scale then. And, you know, it's a, it's a good entry strategy, or from the outside anyway, it looks like it,
0: with a view then to
1: being able to do more.
0: Seems yeah, like absolutely. Move. Our article also said that, obviously, MasterCard has been on a similar spree, partnering with Coinbase on NFTs and backed to let banks and merchants in its network offer offer crypto-related services. Amex, American Express, are also exploring connecting its cards and network with stablecoins. So it's all about getting the unbanked into some type of digital money mode, right? And whether that is through a mobile wallet, whether that is through crypto, there needs to be some on-ramp in And I think that is still going to be the struggle. Now, our friends at Pippet, Ollie Walsh are working on this and have been working on this for years, which is digitalizing cash and enabling you to take your cash that you've earned somehow, you've been paid cash, and hand that in to somebody who will convert that into a message that will be sent over, whether that be crypto rails or traditional rails to the end party right? And that end party can be your mobile money wallet, right? So this is a pretty popular thing to use in Nigeria, in Ghana, in Western Africa in general, where you do have cash and you want to actually get that into a mobile money wallet. Well, let's get that from instead of cash into a mobile money wallet, cash into a crypto wallet. I know Pippet have been able to enable some things like that with some of the partners they're working on. So it's all about the on-ramps. There are still one point billion unbanked in the world. And it they don't necessarily need to move into the traditional banking system in order to move money around the world, preserve and grow their wealth, help out family, friends, and loved ones in need when yeah. they or whoever, um, when you have money and they may need money, or they have money and you need money. So money makes the world go round, and you know what? Money never sleeps, pal. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> All right. So next one, I had Google partnering with Coinbase to accept crypto payments for cloud services. I love this one, right? And this is where obviously so much of the startup world, and let's look at crypto startups, Web3 startups, rely on AWS. Right, and that is just the leading cloud provider. You could spin up a business using AWS to get your infrastructure stack going. Wonderful. We have Microsoft Azure in there. We have Google Cloud. Obviously, that's what we're talking about here. Any other big cloud players out there besides Google, Microsoft, Oracle have something too, as well. I think, but it may not be as big. Probably Um, not as big, no. Yeah. So, I I I have this conversation with startup founders in Web three all the time. It's like, oh, gotta get a bank account such a hassle we're already paying our employees in stable coins we're paying them in usdc and they're happy we have a crypto wallet we we received our funding from vcs in crypto in usdc right a stable coin and why the hell do we need a bank account and we're going to actually be able to pay our expenses besides paying our employees we'll be able to pay our expenses in in stable coins so great now google cloud are saying that yes startup when you are using google google cloud and paying for our services you can pay us in crypto so i think this is a excellent step forward by google together with coinbase obviously to e- make it even easier for startups to operate right because being able to do so without having a traditional bank account can be you know really helpful now it depends on obviously What name are they setting up their crypto wallet under? Is this the founder? Is this the business? It's harder to get a business account say at Coinbase than it is to get a personal account. Do you have all the controls there and the transparency as you would have around a bank account to make sure this is a company account that there are authorization requ- requirements that it can't just be one individual that then you know controls your purse strings right which is a situation that you don't want all those controls and, and options are there to do that it's just making sure that you're putting that right admin and governance in place right so you know i, w- I was thrilled to see google stepping forward and doing that
1: no and and do you know what it, it follows on from the conversation we were just having around ftx like it's the more widespread adoption even around the fringes well then the better And like that, you end up in a scenario where potentially everything happens around and without the traditional banking system. And you can raise your money in USDC or whatever, and you can pay your staff in coins. And then all of a sudden, so it's just if, you know, you you want to see more of that because it'll then have to, someone will have to make a decision. So like, it's great to see this and obviously with Google and with Visa and the other example, because the more and more traditional players that start allowing it, well,
0: then others, they should hopefully drag the rest of the market along. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, eh, people always say, well, why USD? And I, I'm not sure if I shared this before with our listeners because I've been saying it a lot lately is that recent stats released by a trustworthy party, I don't remember who, some news outlet, that 25% of the world's GDP comes out of the United States of America, which is obviously denominated in USD. 85% of the world's commercial transactions are denominated in USD. So it's currency, especially with what's going on in the world right now, that is looked at as saying, "Okay, that's pretty safe," you know. So it is easily transferable. It is reliable. It is stable, you know. For now, you know, my views on the U.S. have changed quite a bit since I left 22 years ago. But I don't need to get into that tonight, do I? No. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't. So yeah, that was another notable one that I was thrilled to see. I know that you had a couple that you had picked up on that you wanted to dig into. Yeah. Yes. I'm just trying to
1: find it again. So this was an interesting one. So this is Chetwood Financial partners with Mumsnet on family focused financial services. So Chetwood Financial is a UK digital bank. Mumsnet is a large parenting forum. Most people or maybe their partners might be more familiar with Mumsnet as a, a source of information. I know we look at it a lot for anything, particularly when I can't get a baby to sleep. There's usually interesting <laughs> stuff on the Mumsnet forum. It The reason this struck me as interesting is because we've seen, and I know it, we probably uh, touch on it later when we're talking about one of the other ones but we've talked about you know challenger banks and the opportunity and you know where where is the opportunity and how are some of them going to stand apart and the ones that seem to have the stronger potential if you're not a revolute or a monzo or a big scale it seems like you have a better opportunity if you're going with a more uh, specific niche and like that this is a massive community i think there's a, over two million people kind of followers or whatever on the Mumsnet forum so we're talking about a big community that now they're obviously partnering with a financial services provider to roll out solutions for their members. You know, so really good move, obviously, for the likes of Chetwood, but obviously it brings more and more value to that Mumsnet forum and makes it a wider offering. So like that, it's playing on the community piece whereby there's a captive audience already who would use Mumsnet for a lot of different things. So Yeah,
0: why isn't it Dad's Net? Yeah. <laughs> don't don't go there. Don't go there. Um, don't go there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but you're right. It's it's reaching communities. And when you've got communities that can hide something, I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago about T Mobile partnering yeah. with Goldman to reach their, you know, their retail, obviously their yeah. individual consumer network. And that is a pretty wide open theme that you're going after. Well, I have a mobile account. But when you are a Mumsnet follower and you are actually, you know, part of this community. That Eight, is, sorry,
1: I was wrong. 8 million unique <laughs> monthly users.
0: Okay, so one-tenth of the T-Mobile audience, which is a pretty yeah. damn big audience. 20,000
1: right? kind of posts every day. So, you know, that's a, that's a big deal to be able to roll out solutions to for both, from both sides, you know. It's an interesting choice. Obviously, Chetwood Financial wouldn't be one we'd be overly familiar with over here, but look, Mumsnet is primarily UK-focused. This is a cost-of-living kind of play and having that support.
0: For their members, but yeah, big big community of people. Excellent. Now it, it's you know, and and where you know how much further can we go with neobanks digging into certain themes, right? So I just saw recently something come back up for Greenlight, and what did Greenlight do? They are a neo bank. They were on the Fintech 250. So CB Insights okay. released their Fintech 250. And Greenlight were on there. So they are a debit card for kids and teens. We might have talked about them before. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, Learn to earn, save, and invest together. The kids and teens banking app with investing. So they were obviously being part of the CB Insights Fintech 250. And there was five, you know, 10 different categories. Crypto, lending, neobanks, banking as a service, and infrastructure. So, you know, a bunch of different categories, but the total amount of companies they named in this was 250 interesting one now I won't get into that um the uh, so you've got this we see them also coming up for migrant banks right yeah in the USA it's uh, like
1: I've mentioned before stilt which is the migrant lender raised a good chunk of money last over 100 million last year to build out its or to to broaden its offering you know and they're specifically targeting immigrants on the lending side I know there are a number of challenger banks in the U S targeting the African-American community as well. And then there, I think there was one launched recently, which is targeting native Americans or that the native American population as well. So, you know, are they all going to survive? Not necessarily, but in this example, you've like that, you've got 8 million monthly users, you've got a very big audience to start rolling out something to, especially where it's trying to be specific to that market or that
0: audience. Yep. The one I was thinking of was majority. Right, that all in one okay. mobile banking for migrants. Now, like I mentioned, Pipit before and Ali Walsh, and they are, you know, they have released their new Connect, their new Connect product, right, which is moving, you know, the whole migrant financial infrastructure or financial system, financial rails, really, away from the traditional rails and leveraging stablecoin rails, which is very quick rather than waiting for two, three days, a day or two or three for money to move through the traditional banking framework, right? So to end up moving your cash, hand it over to a pay point, gets digitalized and moved into a mobile money wallet, that process can take a couple of days. Why don't we just leverage stable coins and do that instantaneously, right? So they're building a, a whole product set around this. And majority, obviously working on this in the US, but it's a little bit of a different story working on the migrant corridors from the UK to say Western Africa, than it is working on the migrant corridors from the US to Latin America. Right. So there's. But you can see that by going down that kind of niche vertical, you
1: know, you can offer more products then you're, if you can work with them specifically, you can then roll out additional products. So it like, I think that's where you'll see, you know, we'll see lots of consolidation or. Businesses closing down in the neo-banking space, but you'd probably see, the ones that have survived will be the bigger ones or the ones that are very specific on their target
0: audience. Yeah, yeah. And it it's like, you know, uh, Mumsnet in Ireland is Revolut, right? So, you know, all the payments going around for, well, we got to pay for this kid's party. We got to pay yep. for, you know, this group birthday yeah. party, you know, school, you know, payments for this, that, the other thing, you know, it goes through Revolut. Primarily right yep. now. So, you know, let's see if Chetwood can step up and, and do it better. Right? Cool. One of the other ones that you wanted to talk about, I just saw something else mentioned on them. So so dive into this one. Yeah?
1: Oh, yeah. So this is Nova Credit. So, obviously, any regular listeners will know I'm more than fascinated with the credit world. So Nova Credit are a cross... are positioned themselves as a cross-border kind of credit bureau. So they have a... Their main product is Credit Passport, which allows c- people moving to a new country that, you know, won't have a credit history in that new country to bring their previous kind of credit history with them. So they were really strong coverage around, they launched 2016, their relationships with about credit bureaus in about 20 countries. And obviously that's really beneficial for immigrants, but not just immigrants, like obviously you moving from the US to Ireland, you would have had credit score you know if I move to the UK next week I'd have a history in Ireland that I can't bring with me unless I'm using a product like Nova Credit and their credit passport so mm-hmm. I saw them in the news obviously in the last two weeks because HSBC had put 10 million dollars into them through HSB Ventures and I mean the list of ex- existing investors is quite impressive with Kleiner Perkins, General Catalyst, Index Ventures and then you've private individuals from Goldman, JP Morgan and City who've all put money into it so scaling quite significantly and again deepening its relationships with the banks who would be its primary kind of customers who are using the kind of Nova credit platform so i thought it was really interesting another bank putting money into them and obviously HSBC are trying to do more in asia and that's where they see the opportunity by partnering with them so an interesting one. It's a big challenge. Like we just mm. talked about immigrants and, you know, this is another issue, but like that, we think immigrants or even migrants and you think unbanked, whereas it's not. It's the simple case of someone even moving for work, taking a job in a different orga- different party organization in a different country. And all of a sudden you've no credit history to bring with you. You know, there's yeah. a huge opportunity to be able to be the person who, or the provider that allows you to do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Ollie, Ollie Walsh moved from Galway to Sheffield in the UK to get his to get Pippet set up initially. And he could not get a freaking bank account to get an apartment to pay rent. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? So that was one of the inspirations for starting Pippet because he was a migrant, you know, going from Ireland to the UK to get a business off the ground. So it was Nova Credit is, I saw this when I was just looking for the name of majority, right? The migrant bank in the US and Google search automatically return for me and change it to immigrant banks in the USA instead of migrant banks in the USA and said, including results for immigrant banks in the USA, the first thing that came up was Nova credit listing the best bank accounts for us newcomers in 2022. Yeah, Right. So being able to create this portable credit score for yourself yeah. is, Huge. is fascinating. And yeah. you know, what I'm seeing and talking about mobile money wallets as well is that when you are, when when someone is setting out to build a credit score for you, they need to be able to dip into the data that is representative of your true financial life, not just your bank account. And if that is a mobile yeah. money wallet, if that is a crypto wallet, right? So here's a challenge I'll throw out for anybody is that for example, I had to download my, you know, transactions off of Coinbase for Tax reporting, going through all my U.S. tax reporting this year and my Irish one as well. And it was, there was a lot of noise in there, right? A lot of different transactions converting between different cryptocurrencies and, you know, inbounds, outbounds, whatever. And it was like, all right, how is my accountant going to actually make sense of that? So I, there are apps, like I think Tactic is called one of them, CryptoTax is another. I think they were actually in a FinTech 250 that do this. Right? And they will take this data downloaded from Coinbase and they will actually you know, turn it into tax reporting. But what about ciphering through that for figuring out someone's spending habits? Just like some of the better players like a Nova Credit or whomever have figured out, here's how we're actually going to sort through not only bank account data, but mobile money data, yep. your telecom bill, your heating bills, whatever, all this type of stuff please, how can you sort through my crypto account to be able to decipher what is representative of a healthy financial life, right? So I'd love to see someone come up with a solution for that.
1: And Joe, as you were talking that through, it made me think and it maybe it's, it's maybe not something we know and I'd love to I'd love to have the conversation like it'd be a great one for a panel or something, you know, take Nova Credit or you take a plaid or something like that and you say, okay, well, if you're plugged in and you're the connecting point, like Nova Credit is a good example, there are 20 bureaus that they partner with. So obviously they're, you know, they're selling into banks, but are they structurally now getting to the point that they're important to the industry? that you couldn't necessarily allow someone to just acquire them.
0: Yeah. That you know, they, if
1: HSBC were acquiring them, does that lessen the, you know, the potential of what they're doing for
0: the the industry? It does. It, it's It's an industry utility. And I've had this conversation with other folks before, is that when you're building something that you want to be an industry utility, obviously utility brings with it a certain connotation <laughs> about, maybe not venture style returns, right? Yeah. Because who's going to buy them? Right. And unless they eventually go public. And when you're a public utility, it doesn't scream, you know, fat, you know, Jaws effect type margins. Right. So, yeah, totally agree. But I'd love to hear who would take a dissenting voice on that and say, no, actually, what could a big bank do with this? Could they actually take one big step ahead and kind of corner their ability to provide the best? risk management type approach to lending.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because if you think like the visa and plaid acquisition had to go got, you know, pushback from the Department of Justice in the US, but yet the who was it, Nordigan got acquired. The big open banking. <laughs> you keep player. coming back to this. No, but it, like if you if you draw you can draw parallels between, you know, they have thirty two hundred banking partners that they're providing open banking solutions for. You know, can you allow can the regulator allow one player to acquire them? Could the regulator allow one player to acquire Nova credit and corner the market or control access, you know, is that, I, is that not a monopoly question?
0: I, I think yes, but are the regulators, when they're looking at these issues, when they're looking at, you know, Wies and Plaid, for example, were they thinking, well, Plaid are kind of a public utility or they're exactly. moving Didn't in it, that, that it, direction. That's is that question. the way they looked at this? I don't think so. No, I don't think they have that foresight to be able to do that. Mm. I think they're they're looking and saying, you know, probably from your angle, well, you know, well, is this the same thing now that I'm, I'm my 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 brainwave is jumping two sentences ahead of my mouth. So <laughs> that you know, the regulators looking at Visa Plaid and saying, well, Plaid obviously has connectivity with so many different financial institutions. By Visa buying them, does that then allow Visa to corner the market in terms of connectivity with financial institutions Mm -hmm. and perhaps get a leg up on MasterCard, American Express, and and Discover's, you know, right? If they're still out there. So, probably looking at it from that angle, which is a close cousin of looking at Plaid as a public utility that should Mm -hmm. just be an independent utility, right? But, you know, let's see what happens with Plaid, Stripe, TrueLayer. You know all these other players what was the one tink uh yeah. in europe that we've talked about recently and see how you know should they just all merge together stripe would say no i know what the collison brothers would say because they're looking at this whole space a bit yeah. differently right
1: i think i want to go down this rabbit hole a bit further so i'll, I'll come back to you
0: on this topic please do no i'd, I'd love it if you would and we'll, we'll come up with something else on this let me take a minute to tell you more about our sponsors Security strives to be the trusted partner that secures your information assets deemed critical for your business. Security also delivers the highest level of security expertise and support to their clients. Even further, Security provides independent cybersecurity assessments and advisory against best practice industry standards and compliance frameworks. Working as an extension of your team. SecurityCentrics helps you recognize and control data risk to your business by understanding your level of risk. In short, SecurityCentrics provides many solution offerings from assessment and advisory, managed security services, cloud and infrastructure validation, vulnerability management and testing, and payment security. Get in touch with the team at SecureCentrics.com to learn more or email info at SecureCentrics.com. That's S E C U R I C E N T R I X dot com. A couple more that I had I picked up on because we've talked so much about Marcus. And shout out to Pat Fintech because I am doing some educational delivery for them. As we talked about last year, I'm, I don't feel like I'm lecturing because I'm trying to get people involved. I don't feel like I'm teaching because I don't think I'm a very good teacher, but <laughs> I am part of the guest faculty. So I'm faculting, right? <laughs> so that, and in the deck I that I use, I feature this page talking about traditional financial institutions versus fintechs. And one of the pages has Goldman Sachs listed on there as being an old school financial institution, average age is a hundred years. But there's a little footnote that I put at the bottom of the slide that says, if their Marcus app, which is their investment and where their savings and investment yes. app is any indication, hopefully they'll be the one that actually survives with this. And they've done, had done really well in bringing Marcus to market, expanding it. They now have their investing app, but what it looks like now is that it's getting a bit shaky and that they're pulling back and only offering Marcus accounts now, I think to employees and then corporates that are also wealth management or, yeah. or sorry, wealth management customers because it's expensive to run this. I think they spent a hundred billion on losses, it last I think, year or something there? like that. Yeah? yeah. And that when you have a big, huge banking institution running a FinTech, it's hard to say to someone, okay, your chief product officer has left, so I need the CTO and the COO to kind of split their duties to save some money because we're running out of runway here for the next you know, six months. Yeah. Um, because you don't, you just lop someone else in there and pull them out because they, that's the difference in the financial model. So you're spending a huge amount in anticipation to be able to get a huge amount of customers on, which they did, right? They got loads of customers, well over a hundred million, I think, and- but interest rates are going up, right? And, you know, more expensive with inflation to finance things. So the pressure is on Marcus and it looks like they may not survive. So Yeah, I saw,
1: I know there's loads of commentary going around, but I saw someone <laughs> say that. Oh, all those McKinsey and uh, all the, all those post-grad MBA students be crying into their, into their books now because this was the ideal case study mm-hmm. of <laughs> innovation by a big bank. And now it looks like it's, it's not going to work out.
0: It is, it is, no, and I saw what I thought was a McKinsey or BCG style deck for a FinTech last week, or a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, oh dear, oh dear, no, let's just yeah. focus on the 10 pages that really matter. It just, do you know but, what, uh, it's the
1: one that we should have expected wasn't going to work out, but for whatever reason, I believed that it was, they seem to be putting
0: everything behind it. Mm, and spending, Yeah, just spending a bunch of money on it, and then eventually you got to look at a business unit and say, is it profitable or not? Right. And make some make some decisions around it on what to do, because, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, yeah. contrary to popular belief in some circles. So, yeah, that was that one. The, the other one in trouble, obviously, Bank North there looks like they're on their Well, they definitely are on their last legs. They're selling yeah. their SME lending business to LHV lhv are an estonian bank they have a uk branch now as well so i think it was like some uh, something like 17 million pounds worth book, of uh, an open loan book which should be good for lhv lhv or the fiat on ramp for coinbase in europe okay right so you know when i send my money to from Revolut to coinbase it goes through lhv first and then instantaneously it's in my coinbase account so but an lhv know, I, took
1: a stake in bank north last year didn't they five million i don't or remember yeah i'm just looking at here yeah four and a half million so i mean they they obviously knew the business well the sme lending piece seems to fit with what lhv do anyway and they're applying for their own license lhv is applying for its banking license in the uk it submitted it earlier this year so it probably helps strengthen that case in that respect
0: yeah yeah so i was always a fan of bank north i think it was someone from 11fs who said that if John Snow from Game of Thrones was to have any bank account, it would be Bank North, obviously. So. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Winter really is coming. <laughs> Winter is coming. But yeah, no, I, I, I never, had, you know, never had the pleasure of having a Bank North account. Anyway, yeah. um, and Twenty Six also posted a big loss. They're saying they will be able to get to profitability. I saw that pop up, and you know, the, thank you for this final one. I wanted to mention to Dave Cunningham. Big shout out to Dave, and he tweeted yeah. this. I think it was yesterday or this morning. But putting the meh in metaverse. (laughs) I love that. So meta announces legs in their, what is it called? Horizon Worlds metaverse or something. And it was like, they were so excited. Mark Zuckerberg's avatar was jumping up and down. It still looks like a 1990s video game version of Mark Zuckerberg, which is just ridiculous. It it was a, a TechCrunch article that made the rounds. And... That there was no mention of NFTs when they talked about how you could buy digital assets in this meta metaverse, which is the whole point, right? In being able to buy virtual goods that you can then take with you in a wallet and bring to other virtual worlds, right? You don't want to go buy your Nike sneakers in Meta Horizon Worlds and then only be able to wear them there. You want to be able to wear them in Decentraland, Sandbox, and Crypto Voxels. Yeah. And, Realm, which is a pretty cool one. Shout out to Matt Larby. And, but that's it. So the all of this negative connotation that we're getting from the community around meta building this and building a closed metaverse is, you know, uh, we see this all playing out because that's just not the way to do it. If you follow the model of gregarious games, which is totally fictional, by the way, which only exists in the book Ready Player One. You basically build the platform for the metaverse and build the framework for these metaverse worlds and let people build on top of it. And in this story, people built, you know, a, a planet dedicated to Prince, right? The artist formerly known as Prince <laughs> and God rest his soul and a, 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 a city or planet dedicated to John Hughes, who did the 16 candles and breakfast club. And what was it? Pretty in pink movies back in the eighties mm. and, and a few others. And so. Again, I'm talking about science fiction as if it's actually fact and it's not, but science fiction informs reality Uh, and visionaries. Right. So I, I I just don't see meta and I it pains me to still call them meta because they're Facebook. Yeah. Uh, doing this in a way that is in a, not in alignment because the, this stuff doesn't exist yet, but with the true nature of being able to enjoy part of your life in this virtual world. It can't be your whole life because then you'd be, I don't know, I don't know what happened. you turn into Terminator. But, you know, being able to enjoy part of your 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 life in this virtual world, I don't see it happening with what Meta is building. I just don't.
1: Yeah. Well, because I know they also announced their... Da-da-da quest pro their latest headset VR headset and the ability to do obviously far more with it and i just wonder i suppose you know we're talking about communities earlier on and you know we've talked about the metaverse and how at the moment the kind of real versions that are out there are in gaming like fortnite and roblox and stuff yeah. so you wonder you know, he has obviously a captive audience to a degree, and he they're building out the metaverse, and they're building out obviously the functionality, and then they're offering the headsets and everything. So, you know, you would you would think naturally that the the smartest way to get people is to try bring some of those games into the metaverse, or mm-hmm. or bring use gaming as the as the way to kind of get people engaged, as opposed to socially. Because you know, there's a very different age profile of people playing Fortnite versus people on Facebook. But yeah, somewhere in the middle would seem to be the answer.
0: Yeah, I think the I think their their metaverse, the meta metaverse, will be like the VCR. Right, yes. it's something that was only a holdover from Jesus. What was there before VCRs? I don't think there was anything. Was okay. there, oh, there was the the, the Super Eight. Right, so you could actually. My dad had a Super 8 camera, and you could then watch home movies. Obviously, but I think there was also a way to order movies as a Super 8 and show that on your projector at home. I I don't remember from my childhood that us ever doing that, but it's something is tickling at me that that was an option, and you know. So VCR was the first real commercialized big ability to take movies home. Okay, and then that existed for. You know 15 years they still do exist but they're not in use pretty much at all yep. and the you know the, the dvd took over and now the dvd has kind of gone by the wayside and streaming is the way to do it and then something's going to happen to streaming at some stage but i see the meta metaverse being you know like a vcr it's going to be a way to get you know people in but eventually there's going to be within 10 years, there's going to be something better that is more open and people just that people will fly. But through. I, su-
1: I suppose you just, you know, given how we talked about, even with WhatsApp, they were able to roll out payments and all of a sudden it's a massive revenue line potentially, and it opens up a big opportunity. You know, the reality is he has a huge audience mm-hmm. to f- and while it looks stupid at the moment, you know, <laughs> you don't have to imagine they'll figure it out. They're smart people. They will. They're, they're smart enough. He's trying to force something. But like I said, the 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 working solution or the answer is out there in the market. It's Fortnite. It's, you know, it's, so there is the, there are learnings, you know, being able to do concerts in a Fortnite setting, you know, wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine it would be that far of a jump for Meta to announce that they've signed whoever to do their latest concert in the Metaverse at some point in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I've got angel and devil on my shoulders here, totally, looking <laughs> at both sides of this, right? And that I think that in a parallel to what's called enterprise blockchain, which some people look at and say, well, you know, it's closed, it's it's permissioned, in contrast to public permissionless open blockchains in use by, you know, that are are part of Bitcoin, that are part of Ethereum and obviously any big, you know, crypto asset. And that, you know, what we're seeing is that big financial players, JP Morgan, Swift, right? And the DTCC in the US, a big clearinghouse, all have big projects going around this, but they're all closed blockchains, just like Meta are building a closed metaverse. And, but... There are very, very smart people working on these projects with JP Morgan and DTCC and Swift. And I think they realize where this is all going because they're not the only ones that to get a product like this or to get something like this to market, you need to do it in a way that people will feel safe. Right. And the way to do it safely is to close it. And then if they are indeed genuinely, truly architecting it so that it can be opened. Good. But still. You're just adding legs to the avatar now. Something. <laughs> <laughs> We're
1: it's a bit away up. yet.
0: We are. We are. Yeah. So the again, the Matthew Ball book, the metaverse and how it will revolutionize everything points to 2032 as the year, right? Which is basically 10 years from the book it was published, so. Mm. You yeah. know, someone's going to write another book in in 2 years from now that will say, well, it'll ar- arrive ahead. in, you know, 2034. Right. Yeah, so yeah. we'll 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 see but i think We've, we won't we'll even know it. This one, no doubt we will we won't even know it we won't even know it it's just gonna yeah. slowly not slowly but rapidly evolve and it's just going to be all of a sudden it's going to be in front of us you know we'll and we be uh, having this conversation with our avatars exactly exactly yeah. so i think we can that'll, that'll be fun that'll be fun i won't need yeah. to wear a, yeah. adidas track seat for that but anyway <laughs> shout out to adidas Let's see if we can get them as a sponsor right sponsorship Yep. Yeah. yeah okay all right. Anything else you wanted to... Any no. public complaints? Any... Public, any... <laughs> public complaints? No.
1: No. No, no. Some interesting stuff I've been looking at this week. Reading a great book, actually, which I can't get the name right. one second. The Importance of Being Interested by Robin Ince. Adventures in Scientific Curiosity.
0: Importance That's... of Being Interesting.
1: He's, He's a- actually a comedian and a kind of presenter on a number of shows on the BBC but fascinated in science and a reformed scientist, I think is how he described him. So it's a amusing take on kind of science and everything.
0: So, all really right. The importance it. of being interesting, the importance of being interested, Importance
1: of being interested,
0: interested. Yes. Yeah. All right. I will collect that one for so the note. show notes. And cool. just in that Tim Ferriss and Brian Armstrong podcast episode, yeah. just out of that, surely you're joking. Mr. Feynman was mentioned, which I had never Oh had yeah.
1: i I'm dying to get he's supposed to be excellent, Richard Feynman. I have
0: to get that book. Network yeah. State by Balaji Srinivasan, which I heard about on the same podcast and that I need to read. We talked a little bit about this a few episodes ago. Ender's Game, which this was actually wasn't on that podcast episode. It was Packy McCormick was saying in that latest essay that one of the latest essays he wrote about being a father that he's going to get his kids reading Ender's Game early, which is a classic sci-fi book. Changing World Order. Uh, So Principles for a Changing World Order, which is Ray Dalio's newest book, which I think could be a companion book to uh, Network State. It'd be interesting to read those two one mm-hmm. after the other to see how that comes out. And then Hackers and Painters by Paul Graham, who's at startup. Oh, very really good. Yeah. Right. So I'm um, going to check out each one of those. But um, a few interesting you know, ones. That's our book list for the for for the year. Pretty for much the, for the year. I'll be, yeah, I'll be all time, set.
1: The rate I'm getting through pages at the moment know, it's for the year. I know.
0: I know. Thanks to ten month olds, but you know they'll be they're good for it. They're good for it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Owen. Pleasure. Good Good night on this fine evening. Good night. And uh, we will chat shortly. Absolutely. Adios. That does it for this week, folks. You can learn more about the stories we covered in the show notes on our website, moneyneversleeps.ie. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this podcast. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early stage startup investor focused on where fintech meets crypto and crypto meets Web3. There are plenty of links in the show notes on moneyneversleeps.ie on how to get in touch with us, so don't hesitate to reach out. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See ya!